Welcome back, fellow jazz bums and metalheads. So this episode will be fun. We have a uh, friend of the channel, Malaya, who is uh, talking in the Jazz Bums Discord about how she is starting to explore jazz, which kind of sparked the idea of what records would we recommend to a metalhead? Um, so that is what we're going to be jumping into today. So shout out to Malaya. She does have a metal-focused Discord server. We're going to link that in the description below. We highly recommend joining that. Um, another channel that you uh, that we also re recommend checking out is Patrick the Vinyl Archivist. Um, he does a lot of live streaming and uh, he does cover a lot of metal. So if you're if you're into metal, we highly recommend joining uh, or subbing up to him. And even if you're not, um, he has a great panel and uh, is extremely knowledgeable and really fun to watch. So we highly recommend subbing up to Patrick's stream. Um, so we will. Uh, drop the link to his channel in the description as well. So with that said, remember to like and subscribe, and I'm gonna kick it over to Felipe to get us started. Thanks, Mike. Uh, welcome everybody to one more episode of the Jazz Bombs today. Yeah, Metal Day, uh, which is just kind of interesting. I think jazz and uh, metal, they, they have some resemblance, some, some similarities there like complexity, intensity of the composition sometimes. And, and I think how how connected are, is the audience to the musicians? I mean, we in jazz, we have so many passion discussions about who's the best saxophone player, which record is the best, and uh, which pressing, which version, which is the best live band. And we're, we're very into uh, our favorite artists. And I think it's metal, too. I mean, there's a huge connection between metal and their fans. Mm -hmm. uh, like, they, they travel around the world, right, Chris? The people travel all over the U.S. just to see Progen, or, or uh, they go all over the world to see Metallica, and uh, yeah, they buy all the merchandise, people are very into it. And, and metal bands, so let's, let's, be, let's be honest and clear about it, they, they borrow a lot from jazz, in terms of improvisation, composition, uh, the length of the songs, you see now bands like Metallica, they just released their longest song ever, it's not jazz per se, but it shows something, uh, how intricate, how complex and longer things are becoming. And that's a jazz thing, I'd say, uh, in a sense. So today we're going we're to kick off and, and uh, our first round. Uh, I'm going to show my first record here. And the idea is, which is the first record I show to, to like a, a kid or a 20-year-old or whoever. It's metal their whole life. I said, man, I want to get into jazz. Which record? should kick ass that I'm going to like. Uh, so I, I wasn't very, I was very unorthodox in my choices. I, I'm very straight to the point. So my first one, I'd say a record that really hits you in the chest. It's, it's, it's a tour de force. It's a tour of perfection. It had to be this one, right? I, I think a record has to, so this is Blue Train by Joe Coltrane. 1577, that's an original monopress of Blue Train. Um, I think it's it's a train. I mean, the whole composition of this, the first song, the opener, it's, it's a train, departing, running, and stopping. Um, and it's very intense, it's very well played, well thought. Uh, it's, it's a record that really captures uh, your attention. It's hard not to be... Um, Touched by it in a sense, you might, you might love it, you might think it's too much, you might think it's too slow, but in my opinion, this is a kick-ass record. Uh, I think Blue Train is a great starting point for anyone that wants to feel some intense music, straight to the point, well played, and that's really going to kick ass. I think that's, that's that'll be my first one. Yeah, that's a, that's I, a I great think a better example. That's a great pick, and the song Locomotion, I think, really speaks to that as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's fiery, it's upbeat. I mean, Lee Morgan, when he comes in on that solo, is just incredible. Yeah, uh, it, it is a great record. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. That's a great pick. So my first record is actually the first jazz record I got into when I was like 22 or something. Um, I listened to metal my whole childhood. I mean, Metallica was my favorite band forever. Um, you know, it was more heavy metal, I guess, really starting off with like you know hair band stuff in the 80 early 80s when i was like six or seven years old and then graduating up into like metallica and, and megadeth and anthrax and iron maiden and all those bands you know so listen to them a lot so anyway the first record 
for me that I ever got into is Headhunters Barbie Hancock. Um, it's like a funky festival, man. This thing is badass. It's it's a, it's a much more electric than a lot of the older jazz. This came out in, I don't know, 70. It's turning 50 this year, actually. There was sure an episode of that. Yeah, but 73, 1973, it's turning 50. Yeah. But this has got, you know, all kinds of, of synthesizers and uh, Rhodes piano and, you know, guitar. I don't actually know if there's, any, there's no guitar on this, but, you know, it's just super funky and badass. So I'd recommend this as a starting point for anyone. Great choice, uh, Chris. The, the bass lines are amazing, too. Yeah, for sure. I think the other part of it is that it just has a constant groove, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. that just kind of sucks you in. And so if uh, I was talking to someone who was passionate about metal and interested in jazz, getting into jazz, I would pick this as my first. This is actually a record that came out this year. Hmm. This is a James Brandon Lewis trio, Eye of Eye. Um, and it has a lot of solid, steady, heavy rock rhythms that he um, that he's in front of and is soloing over. Um, but I really wanted to call out the last track. It's called Fear Not. And it is uh, backed by the Mesthetics. And that actually is a trio with two members from the band uh, Fugazi. Oh, so cool. it's really got like a hard rock background to it. And then James Brandon Lewis is over it. Um, as well, there's a trumpet player, too. Um, I forgot his name. It's uh, who's trumpet here? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's Anthony Pirog on guitar as well. So I think this would be a really um, good entry point, especially that song, to somebody with a metal background to really kind of get comfortable with with kind of a, a rhythm section that is uh, more familiar, and then kind of entering uh, like a tenor saxophone on top of it. Um, so this is uh, my first pick: James Brandon Lewis, Eye of Eye. Very cool. Cool, huh? I have not heard that yet. Is yeah, it, this was a, a, a Notes and Tones recommendation. Is it 22 or 23, Mike? Just came out. Right? Recorded in 21, mastered in 22, and released this year. Okay. I believe, I mean, it says 23 on the back here, so it could have been at the end of 22 as well. Awesome. It's, it's really good. It's on the, the anti label, which I think is a, a smaller label. Sounds like it. But really good. That's a good pick. Cool. So let's move on. Next one. Uh, I think this guy should be in any any list. Uh, I I thought about his seventies work, uh, more like funky, but I I avoided. So I pick up this one here. Of course, I'm talking about Donald Byrd. Oh, nice. He has some great records in the in the seventies, right? Uh, the Blackbird, the Street Lady. Ethiopia, They're, those are really good, but I think as an early record, Donald Burr, Fuego, with Jack McLean, Dick Pearson, the Watson, the Les Humphreys, then yeah, right. uh, 40, 26, is very early 60s. I mean, he's no longer playing with Pepper Adams uh, in this group here, but this record, man, this is so good, so uh, it's intense, uh, like the the songs, the rhythms, the everything is played kind of kind of loud in a sense. The band is very uh, upfront, and I think this is this is a good, really good, agitated, uh, uh, more like upfront record for someone that thinks jazz could be a little slow or mellow or blah blah. This is a really great record. I highly recommend any Donald Bird over time. Um, if you want to start, maybe the seventies are a good pick because it's much more electric. But this record, it's on fire, kicks ass. Fuego. Yeah, that's a great record. That is awesome. Love it. So I think Mike's going to do the same thing for our second round. Um, show some guitar-based records, right? Um, the guitar is obviously the primary soloing you know, instrument in most metal bands. So, um, yeah. So the first one, get through here. Um, the first one's by Jeff Beck. But you know, did did a lot of heavy rock stuff too. But this is called Blow by Blow. This is totally a jazz record. Um, that's, yeah, that's a good one. So this has got a little bit of a funk element to it as well. Mm -hmm. But it's you know, it's 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 guitar jazz rock, right? So I'm going to show a lot of fusion kind of records tonight because I feel like 
they're a good entry point to jazz from going into rock or into metal. Um, and this this record, he just kicks ass in, man. I mean, who doesn't like Jeff Beck as a guitar player, right? Mm-hmm. What do you know about this one, Felipe? Oh, I, I have it. Uh, I love this record, too, Chris. I think it's, to me, maybe it's best. Yeah. Like, I, uh, yeah. I think it's like more inspired, you know, more diverse. And, and really well execution. Like the, the, the playing there is amazing. He is on top form there. I think. Totally yeah. agree, man. Totally agree. I mean, I, mean, I like I have uh, what is it, The Truth, another record of his that's really good, but it's got mm-hmm. same kind of stuff. And it's not yeah. jazz. It's just, you know, it's. Yeah. There's also Wired, um, which is a really good one as well. Yeah, I don't have that one. It sounds good. This one sounds more cohesive to me. Like it's more like a, a body of work, really well, I think, yeah, capsule there. Right. So my next one is another fusion record. This is um, the Eleventh House featuring Larry Coryell. So this is 70s fusion. I mean, check out his suit, man. <laughs> I like this car. Looking good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, I mean, he's a, he's an amazing guitar player. And I've got a bunch of his records, but this this group, the Eleventh House, is harder. I think mm-hmm. it sounds much more rock rock based than you know just like jazz guitar. You could say um, he's a killer player. Let's see, yes, yeah, so we got Larry Coryell on guitar, Michael Lawrence on trumpet and flugelhorn, John Lee on bass guitar, uh, Mike Mandela keyboards, Alphonse Mulson on percussion, and then. Steve Kahn uh, plays a 12-string guitar on one track. Um, again, it's funky, it's heavy, it's cheap as hell, probably. You can probably find this for 5 10 bucks. Yeah, um, I've seen that before. It's good yeah, to know. I recommend it, for sure. That's pretty cool. Um, and then the last one I've got for guitar-based stuff. I mean, there's a million of them, right? Like, there's so many so much good guitar records. Yeah. But, and so I've talked about this record a ton, but this is William Parker, uh, Mayan Space Station. It's got him on bass, um, Ava Mendoza on electric guitar, and then Gerald Cleaver on drums. But Ava Mendoza, this is a, she's a killer guitar player, and she just shreds on this whole fucking record. Like, um, but it's definitely a little bit out there. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of free jazz, but it's just, a, a, she just kills it on guitar, man. Really cool. There's a song called um, Tabasco, the first song. It's fucking great. And then the Mind Space Station song is awesome, too. So I recommend that one, too. I mean, you can stream all this shit, too. You don't have to buy the record. Yeah. If you're, just, if you're just trying to figure out if you like jazz or what kind of jazz you like, you don't have to buy records, man. Just stream the shit and yeah. figure out what you like. These are just some ideas, maybe. Anyway. Yeah. Stream and figure it out for sure. All right, Mike, what you got? All right. Well, I actually have this record in the mail, so I, I can't physically show it, but I did want to just share the screen to show the album cover. This is all right. So this is the Paul, Paul Blake Quartet on ECM. And the reason why I'm recommending this is because of Bill Frisell on this. He's a guitar player. So, Chris, um, like the record you just showed, I'm going to show a couple guitar. I feel like, like you mentioned, like guitar is like the major soloing instrument within metal. So I think it'll be a good kind of first step for people um, to kind of relate to. And Bill Frizzell, what's really cool on this, he has he's on it, he's on all the tracks, but he um, writes the third track after dark, and it's it's really fantastic. Um, he has a distortion on his guitar, so if you listen to like some like Blue Note guitar records with Grant Green or Kenny Burrell, they usually have like a pretty clean tone. Um, but this is very different. He's, he has some, he, he definitely is using, uh, something to distort it later on when he's soloing. And, um, it's, uh, it's just an awesome track and it has like this frightening tone. Um, and I just highly recommend it. It, It's, it's really, really awesome. So, um, it's not, uh, it's something like the reason why I ordered is because it's something different that I don't have in the rest of my collection. Um, it's, it really has kind of a different sound to it, and it's, it's like a spookiness, and the, the drumming is, is, is fantastic, and the complimenting of um, of all the musicians is just, is just fantastic. So check out the, the track After Dark. I think it, it it's, it's killer. This is another guitar record. This is a little bit more funkier. Um, this is on Black Jazz. It's Ooh, got yeah. And I picked this again because um, it's guitar. This is 1971. 
Um, and I recommend checking out the first track, BE. It has a really hard driving beat, um, and the guitar soloing has some distortion as well. Um, so I think this is a, a really cool um, kind of funk jazz uh, record to check out on black jazz. And it's just, it, it, it's, this might be my favorite black jazz record. So um, really easy for me to recommend this one. Do you guys have this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that's a great record. I mean, there's something about the funk connection for me for metal. I don't know what it is, but mm -hmm. it just seems to work for me. That transitioning, yeah, you know, um, it, it works. Record man, yeah, it works really. Well. I think if anybody has been to a, like a Living Color concert, you would totally understand that those guys they kicks as like big time. Absolutely, three. So I, I'm, I'm gonna still be on the funky side, and uh, I'm actually gonna mention a label that if you like the kind of stuff, metal, a little uh, heavier but funkier, very electric. Get anything Kudu. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Kudu, uh, Kudu was a label subsidiary of uh, CTI, right, Chris? Yep. Yeah. Uh, also uh, curated, uh, directed by, uh, by Creed, Creed Taylor. This, this is the first release, Kudu number one. Johnny Hammond, Breakout. There's another one that just came out last year on Craft. I think it's still available, right, Chris? Another Johnny Hammond. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gear, oh, gears is cool. That's a good. That's actually a good recommendation too. Which, which is also great. Goes on. anything. Johnny Hammond. Uh, look at the band here: Hank Crawford, Grover Washington, Eric Gale, Billy Cobham, Johnny Williams, Danny Moore, Ayrton Moreira. I mean, those guys are in most of those records, and they sound amazing. They sound amazing, and the, the, the bands are on fire. I mean, it's a great, yeah. great fusion funk record. Uh, Johnny Hammond is, is an organ player for the ones who don't know. Yeah. But uh, every, every, everybody else here shines. And what I, I like about him is that um, the organ is not so much a front. It's a really well balanced. The, the organ is a complement. I would say it's mostly like most of uh, Sonny Clark work. Sonny Clark doesn't prevail on his record. He doesn't kill the other musicians, which I think is a, a really great skill. And a, I, that's what I like about Johnny Hammond uh, records as well. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I mean, CTI is interesting from a metal perspective just because of the arrangement, right? Like the high, highly focused arrangements because metal's got the same thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think it's a lot of it's a little soft, you know? So I think that that Kudu recommendation, Johnny Hammond and that Gears record too, yeah, that oh, they yeah. out, um, are great recommendations for, for metalheads to check out. Oh, yeah, uh, this weekend just got a Hank Crawford on Kudu, which is also very good. I mean, I I, I got a few a few of them, and I, no one has disappointed me. They're just great records, great, yeah, great records sure. and music for sure. Agree, that's cool, man. Awesome. All right, all right, Chris. Moving along. Okay, so this one, drums, right, Mike? <laughs> okay, so the first one I picked is a classic. Um, Hard bop record, and I think Mike's probably going to show one from this guy too. This is Art Blakey, Indestructible. And so Art Blakey is kind of the prototypical hard bop drummer for me, anyway. Um, he's It's just fiery, pissed off drumming. And if you look at this picture, this is the last record he did at Blue Note, and he was pissed off of the way they were treating him, so... Yeah. You can really hear it on the record too, so I think that kind of that anger kind of comes out, which makes a lot of sense for for metalheads, in my opinion. Um, but on this record, you got Lee Morgan on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Wayne Shorter on sax, Cedar Walton on piano, and Reggie Workman on bass. It's a killer version of the Jazz Messengers. So, yeah. What do y'all think about this record? Oh, I love it. Uh, I think it was one of my first Art Blakey records. I bought a CD, and then I then I got the, the vinyl later. I mean, you can definitely, I didn't even know about the story, but you, you can feel, you can tell, man, this guy's pissed. Mm -hmm. he's, exactly. He's hitting the drums really hard. The music is kind of tense. I think there was like a whole, probably, probably a whole tension there. Hard hard to say. Yeah. But it's a great record. I, I didn't pick any art play because I, I knew there would be a ton today. Mm -hmm. Just had to be, but yeah, definitely it has to be there. Any top five, any jazz. 
I think Curtis Fuller has two two songs on that as well, which are really yeah, good. probably yeah. Um, okay, well, what else? What else? Do you have any other thoughts about that record, Mike? About Indestructible? Yeah, I mean, it, it's fantastic. I feel like if you look at the compositions, um, those Curtis Fuller tracks. I think it's basically all of side A, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Um, it's just a killer side, so that definitely is a recommendation. And that's an eighty uh, Blue Note eighty series, which should be in print. Um, if it's not available now, it should come back at some point. So right. you can get that. Yeah, and it'll be like twenty five bucks or twenty eight dollars or something. Um, here's another eighty series. So this is another kind of I guess drum record. It's it's Pete LaRocca Basra. Oh, yeah. So he's he's a, he's a drummer on here and he's the leader, but. This record kind of bleeds for me across all the little subjects we're talking about. I mean, you got Peter Roca on bass, then Joe Henderson on sax, right? Um, and he plays this sax on this hard, man. I mean, there's like, you know, it's it sounds like some of the stuff you might hear in free jazz a little bit, but it's not because it's just still straight ahead jazz. Yeah. But he's got like this growling tone. It's just kind of ang- you know angry and, and percussive and stuff. So I think that's makes sense for metal and then steve coon on piano and then steve swallow is the bass player on this and that's interesting because it kind of ties into the the later electric stuff we're talking about right he's the first the first big uh bass you know double bass player to, to, to switch to the electric bass and he never switched but he never played the double bass again so um it kind of ties the different kind of subgenres we're talking about together so Nice. That's a great choice, Chris. One of my favorites. All right. I uh, I have two records I'll show here. Um, the first one is going to be another one that just came out this year. This is a Kendrick Scott Corridors. Um, so this is 2023 Blue Note. This is just drums, bass, and sax. So I think what's interesting about this is that it's a, it's a stripped down group. And you could really hear each each uh, player. Um, and I would definitely check out, it, I think it's the first track, What Day Is It? There's a complex drumming style. Um, he uses a small kit, though. So it's not like some like big, like, you know, four rack tom, four, you know, floor tom, double bass drum kit. It's, it's really small, but he, he gets so much out of it. Um, and the interplay with the musicians is also excellent. The, uh, the, Tenor sax player Walter Smith III is on this, who is one of my favorite modern um, jazz players. So all the interplay is excellent. Um, but I think the reason why I picked this is because there is, it, it kind of like, the cover kind of speaks to it. There's like a darkness to this record that I think a metalhead would maybe think is pretty cool. So it's, it's, it's you know, a, a trio, just drums, bass, and sax. And it has some really awesome, you know, just music on it. It's really beautiful. Um, really great and check out the first track on this and and just see what they do with the theme it's it's fantastic um this is probably my favorite new release of the year so mm-hmm. um, definitely recommend kendrick scott quarters and drummer led record that's a great one. i mean um i like your point though about the small kit so just because these jazz drummers are playing you know a snare, a t- a, maybe a tom, a four tom, and a bass drum, and that's it. Their complexity of what they're playing is equal to anything metal has ever produced, okay. right? Yeah. It's the talent and timing and all that. So, yeah, yeah, and just yeah, he's he's really innovative with the kit. I said this before on the live stream, but he you know uses the kit in ways that are non-traditional. So mm-hmm. how he's actually like hitting part of like the cymbal stand or the sides of the ride in, in different ways. And he gets a lot of uh, different sounds out of it. So that is an awesome, awesome record. Definitely go stream that first track. There's actually a video on YouTube of that first track where they're playing it. it they're playing it live in like, I don't know, like a loft or something like it's a dark loft. It's shot really cool. And just seeing them play is also incredible. So recommend that. Um, and then the second one I wanted to show is Art Blakey, um, the big beat. So this is a messenger's lineup, I think from 1960. Uh, this has it has a, a classic lineup of Wayne Shorter, Lee Morgan, Bobby Timms, and Jamie Merritt. So I think as Chris was saying, um, and Felipe, you were also chiming in, Blakey is like a thunderous, straight-ahead, strong, attack-style drummer. Not on every single record, but he is sure. known for that. 
And this is like um, like his signature playing on this big beat. So it's really loud and thunderous. And he did, does these drum rolls that crescendo from like nothing that launch basically the rest of the band. And it's incredible to hear. So if you want like some really in your face drumming, I think the big beat, um, the song I would recommend on this is Dat Dare. It's, I think it's a Bobby Timmons song. I think he recorded it first for Riverside, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that is a great track. So you yeah. go stream that. I think one of the cool things about Blakey is that he has the Messengers group. So if you get into him and you start learning about these musicians that are on here, like Lee Morgan and Wayne Shorter, that, that like literally will just take you in all different directions. And his, his lineup of the Messengers changes throughout the decades. So like in the 80s, he was playing with Wynton Marcells, you know, and then in the 50s, he's playing with um, with uh, Kenny Dorm. And it's like, there's just like the who's who of jazz goes through the messengers. Um, so this is a good entry point. And I think that um, if there is, if there's two players to get into to really kind of expand, um, you know, your interest and uh, where you want to go with jazz, let's say it's Art Blakey and Miles. I think we'll probably talk about Miles a little later, but it's because so many musicians go through their 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 uh, quintets yeah. um so so highly recommend this one and you want to stream the track that there this is also a, uh, a blue note classic series yeah. so it should be available uh, yeah. but that would be so it's a four thousand, right mike this is yeah four thousand twenty nine. okay yeah i mean the big beat is a, is a great example he, he had a heavy hand right so and i he kind of made the other musicians go um, in that direction too, very focused and sharp and loud and dense, which I think was great. And just from, from this lineup, for example, think about Bobby Timmons, he went so funky in the 70s, right? Oh, yeah. Even in the 60s, like Chunking, for example, it's, it's a crazy good record. Um, going shorter, we don't have to you know, even think about. So, yeah, I think Mike made a great point. This band is like spread all over the place, and uh, you just follow these guys, and you're going to be covered like ninety percent, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, and I think I think you made a good point there, Mike, about like if, if metalheads are watching this, they're they're really trying to get into jazz. The different thing about jazz is all these guys played with each other, right? So you get into somebody like Art Blakey, and you start noticing players that you like, and then you see them on other records with other people, and that just just you're it's just an ever-expanding universe, yeah. Right, like there's so much jazz out there, right? So when you find something you like, if it's any of the stuff we recommend or anything else you find, mm -hmm. figure out what you like about it and who you like about it, and then kind of look for other stuff they've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the messengers, like, just go back five years from that record, it's a completely different line. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Also, like the Hard Silver, uh, Hank Mobley, you know, just so great. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, next. All right, so this uh, is round, round four. I haven't shown any guitar or drum record. <laughs> so I'm going like a, along Chris lines, but I'm going to choose a different record from this guy, which is one of my top favorites that you guys know what I'm talking about. So Chris showed, I think, his second peak. I'm going to show his first peak. Uh, I think from this record when he recorded him, it was like 20. He, he made his living for the rest of his life. With a, with a very simple tune. It's a very funky, melodic record. Uh, um, it has an amazing lineup, Freddie Hubbard, Dexter Gordon, Butch Warren and Billy Higgins. Contains one of the most iconic, known, uh, and actually the same song in Chris' record. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably one of the greatest groups ever written. Uh, I think this is absolutely killer. Everybody must have listened to this record. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Right, this is Herbie Hancock taking off, literally taking off. Uh, this is an original mono. It has a very famous composition, Watermelon Man. Just to start off the record, I mean, this is killer. Beginning to end is a great, great record. More the harp on the, the pop, a little more funky R&B uh, at moments. Um, he kind of goes away from the style from his second record, at my point of view. But this is amazing statement where he was at, uh, how his first um, record, Blue Note, was. Actually, his deal was to just record half his songs and half uh, covers. But when Blue Note heard Watermelon Man, they just told him to, to write the whole record. Yeah. A guy 20 years old. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great. 
that's just phenomenal. It's one of my favorites. Everybody should listen, listen and have this record for sure. Taking off. I, I like all Herbie's Blue Note stuff. I think I can't think of a bad record he put out for Blue Note or in general, but I, I love his Blue Note work. Yeah. That's a fantastic one. I highly, highly recommend Everybody should have it. So I would say to stream Watermelon Man from that record. Mm-hmm. And then stream watermelon ran from Headhunters. Jesus, couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, the the, the watermelon ran from Herbie Hancock. Yeah. yeah, the Headhunters. And actually, if you're not paying too much attention, it won't even connect the songs, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you have you can you definitely can tell the same song, but if you're not paying that much attention, you definitely will could miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And um, so, what's next? What's next? That was round four. I mean, starting round four. <laughs> All right, so I'm doing a couple sax records next. So in jazz, every instrument is a soloing instrument, but you know, I think the saxophone is a, is a solo instrument is pretty damn popular in jazz, right? I mean, they all are, but you know, it seems like a lot of people like um, sax-based records more than other things. So I think it compares favorably to the guitar and, and metal. So the first one is um, Inner Urge by Joe Henderson. Oh, I almost picked this one. Yeah. Joe Henderson is a fucking badass killer sax player. Um, and th- this period of his is super like funky and a little dissonant and um, just exciting. Right? And so you've got him on the sax, McCoy Tyner on piano, who is kind of the same kind of guy to me, right? Joe Anderson and McCoy Tyner kind of match up really well. And then Bob Crenshaw on bass. And then finally, Elvin Jones on drums, who is a fantastic energetic drummer. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is just a killer, killer sax record. You said you almost picked it, Felipe? Yeah, I I, I just thought about bringing five records, so I skipped this one, but it it made it it, uh, to the second to last cut. Nice. Do you have that, Mike, in Urge? Yeah, I have the classic series version of it. It, it is a great one. Uh, I have a stereo and a mono version. They sound absolutely different. They're both great, but they sound absolutely different. That's interesting, for sure. All right, this next one is uh, another cheaper one that you could probably find. So this is um, a Gato Barbieri record. He's a sax, tenor sax player. It's called The Legend of Gato. It's on Flying Dutchman. This is a comp from about four different albums that he put out on Flying Dutchman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting to me about this, this guy specifically and this record for Metalheads is he is a wild-ass sax player. He, it's, he plays freely. I mean, it's it's definitely free jazz, his, his sax playing. But what's cool about these records is the the rest of the band keeps like this super funky Latin groove going the whole time. Right. So he's just kind of going off into the atmosphere with his solo and they're just kind of chugging along um, with him, which makes it kind of easier to get into for more of a free sounding saxophone. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So that's what I got for round four. Okay. All right. I'll jump in. Um, So I also selected these next two records. Due to the tenor sax, um, this first one is Sunny Me Talk. This is a uh, 1963, I think, on RCA. Um, Paul Blay is on this. Um, so I showed that Paul Blay ECM record with Bill Frizzell earlier um, with that, that guitar distortion. So he's also, uh, Paul Blay's playing on this as well. Um, I selected this because of Coleman Hawkins specifically. So uh, Hawkins has in his tone a growl. And he also uses subtones that I think could be interesting to a metalhead. Um, it's not like a clean, clear piercing uh, style. It's something that's a little more gritty. Um, that feels like there's a little more distortion there. So I think this might be a little bit more approachable um, for someone coming from the metal background. Um, I would check out all the things you uh, you are um, on this. Uh, the the uh, Hawkins is just front and center on it. I mean, you can you can hear it clearly. He's he's uh, fantastic. And then Sonny Rollins is on it also, and they 
trade fours, they go back and forth, and it's uh, it's just one of my favorite um, tenor sax records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check this one out. This is Sonny Meets Hawk. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't have it, but I, it kind of reminds me of something I wanted to say about the two records I showed is the tone of the sax, right? Oh, yeah. so both ones yeah. I showed are super gritty, growly, funky, just kind of hammersmiths with their saxophone. Yep, exactly. And that's so I just I picked another one for the very same reasons. This is a uh, Jerry Mulligan meets Ben Webster. Oh, this was released in 1960 on Verve, and I selected this for Ben Webster. You want to check out the first track on this. It's a famous jazz standard, Chelsea Bridge, that was originally written by Billy Strayhorn um, when he was part of the El- Ellington Group. But Strayhorn, I believe, played piano on like the first recording. And Ben Webster played tenor on that first recording, if I'm not mistaken. So that is a song that he has completely mastered. And he does it on here with Jerry Mulligan. And again, his tone like has a growl to it. It's really nice. So I think uh, this would be a good one to check out for a metalhead. And I think this is impressed now. I actually checked recently. I think um, this was an analog productions reissue. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's sold out now, but it probably will come back at some point. Yeah. That one's cool because you also get the baritone, right? Yes. Yeah. And the smooth. So that's a really good juxtaposition of this growly, awesome tone that Webster has versus a smoother, well, not smoother, but, you know, deep baritone sax of Jerry Mulligan. That's cool. Yeah. And the, both of those, I mean, they're not difficult records they're to, to listen to, but I think I think uh, Metalhead could enjoy that. Um, even though it's a little lighter in terms of the, the style, I think that that solo, that soloing from both those tenors are are outstanding. I think I think there'd be like a, a connection there. Makes a lot of sense. All right, so this is our last round. This is our last round, and for a change, I'm going to show two records. Do it, man. From, from two guys that are like. Um, uh, essential and then their craft, what they created, they came up with. Uh, and since a lot of people ask, he's a Brazilian artist. A lot of probably a lot of you know him, Jorge Ben. Oh, this, cool. record, this record is called Africa Brazil. Okay. Uh, he pretty much, he invented uh, a certain way of playing. He 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 feels the 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 samba uh, origin. And he was a bossa nova player too, but in the early 70s, he turned everything into electric. And he's, uh, he can't match the way he plays. It's just crazy. Very, it's very intense. It's an electric record. He switched electric and never went back to acoustic. What does he play? He plays guitar. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's right here. Nice. And you can ask any rock musician, any contemporary musician, any past musician, this guy is an influence on everybody. So this is a Vinyl with Please edition. An origi- this is a 76 record. An original in a good shape of this goes for big bucks. So I'm very happy with this one. I don't think it's available on Vinyl with Please now. It's not so easy to find. But streaming is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. Africa Brazil by Jorge Ben. Well, now I want a copy of it. Yeah, Thanks a lot. lot. I remember oh, you yeah. showing that when, when you picked it up. Yeah, this is so good, and it's, uh, some of the, I mean, the very first uh, song, well, it's called Umba Bara Umba, and it's talking about the soccer player. You listen to their riff, you can definitely get the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> it's, it sounds exactly the same. That's cool. Yeah. So, Africa Brazil, George Bain, he, he created a style of playing guitar. Essential record for anybody, jazz, bossa, uh, Brazilian. Uh, and metal, yeah. I mean, the Sepultura guy is a big fan of him. Oh, yeah, he's oh. an icon. He's an icon. He's living in Orlando now. Uh, it's been a long time. Rod Stewart paces for his meals every day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, one of the, uh, the last song on his record called Taj Mahal, uh, he had the, the riff, and the whole song was, uh, uh, I want to say, uh, yeah, I mean, um, Rod Stewart just copied the whole thing. And uh, it's a, got a kind of popular song that he did, Do You Think I'm Sexy? You know that song? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he, he totally copied from George Bain. And uh, he had to share royalties, and uh, George Bain makes a really good living out of that. Good. That's <laughs> excellent. Yeah, yeah. listen to the original Taj Mahal. You're going to see it. It's And it's, this is much better, actually. Second one. Uh, it's, it's about a full band, just like uh, George Bain is... Um, 
quintessential uh, goes over the decades since the, s- the 60s. This guy's been doing that since the 40s. And uh, I think uh, no matter if you like which phase, this or that, any, the shittiest stuff that he does is better than anybody else. He can do anything. And I picked this one. Uh, it's not a fusion record from the 70s. It's not electric. It's not so heavy. It's, uh, but it's one of the most... One of the best live records I've ever listened to, and uh, the drum here is just killer. Tony Williams, you guys know what I'm talking about? No. This. Oh, I knew it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what can I say, right? This is so straight up. It's so great. And uh, Tony Williams just, he he puts a rhythm here in the band that's just, uh, at least to me, like unheard of. You can talk about Bonham, about uh, Art Blakey, or whatever, but what he's doing here in this record is like amazing. I highly, highly recommend. This is a very good pressing if you can get the MoFi, probably they're going for cheaper now. But yeah. uh, this is a really good one. This is a really good one. And I'm going to close with that because, yeah. That's awesome. I, I don't have that one yet. Mike, you have it. What do you think about that record? I think when I, every, I mean, I think it's like a Tony Williams record. When I when I listen to it, I just can't stop hearing his drumming on it. It's so crisp, clear, quick. Yeah, he sounds like no other jazz drummer. Um, with uh, whoever plays on Sweet Rain, kind of has a style like him. Um, that Stan Getz record, I forget, uh, Grady Tate. Oh yeah, Grady Tate is a little bit like him, but before that, I, I really when I heard that, I just never heard a jazz drummer sound like that. He's outstanding it's a awesome record highly highly recommend it i have like a 70s 36 columbia 361 mm-hmm. sounds great so if that's you know it's a much cheaper version but i would say get that record however you can yeah um yeah it's true tony Williams says he doesn't have a heavy hand like art Blakey, but you just feel him all feeling all the, the whole the whole space it's just it's, it's got some magic there to it what he does is just unbelievable yeah. You know, I heard a I heard a funny story that Miles told about Tony Williams when he first started playing with him and he was like eighteen or whatever, right? Tony looked at him one day and he said, Why don't you practice more? And I was like, Shit. Yeah. <laughs> this kid's killing me. He tell he said he was calling me out when I was out of tune and telling me about it. He's a drummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did that exactly. <laughs> so you know, matter of respect. How old was he when he first started playing with Miles? Eighteen? Seventeen? No, he was 17 because he had to grow a mustache so he could get into the bars. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, total prodigy. But well, when, he, when he was 14, he went to my said, I, I have to, uh, you need me in your band. I said, get out of here. Yeah, no <laughs> so, this is a good segue. I've got three Miles records I want to show. So, this is a tribute to Jack Johnson. Miles Davis is in his, you know, kind of electric, turn of the electric period. Um this is a kick-ass record. Let me just tell you the lineup. You got Miles Davis on trumpet, Steve Grossman on soprano sax, Herbie Hancock on organ, mm-hmm. and then um, John McLaughlin on electric guitar, Michael Anderson on electric bass, and Billy Cobham on drums. So this is full-on electric, you know, um, jazz that Miles kind of started to invent here. And um, I think there's what two songs on this record. You know, there's one song on each side, so they're like you know full sides. Yeah. You know, 20 minute long song, 18 minute long song or whatever. And um, John John McLaughlin just shreds it on the guitar on this record. It's the guitar record to me. I mean, it's just killer. So I think this would be a really easy record for a metalhead to listen to. What do you all think? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that was in my consideration for sure. That was my very first batch of jazz records I ever bought. And, uh, of course, Kind of Blue was the first, and this was one of the first ones. I said, dude, what the, what are you doing here? Yeah. And I never expected it. It was so surprising. It was so surprising. It's a heavy record. Really good. The next one is, is kind of related. So this is Miles Davis Live Evil. It's a, it's a half live, half studio records, two LPs. Um, it's very similar. Um, I'm seeing who plays on this one. So it's got a bunch of different guys on it, like Miles, of course, Keith Jarrett, um, John McLaughlin on guitar. It's all fucked up here. Jack, I mean, it's just got all kinds of badass players from that would mm-hmm. that had done great things when we we're going to do more crazy great things in, in the 70s, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
So that's a really good one. And then the last one um, for Miles is Bitches Brew. So now, if you don't like this record, that's fine. Lots of people hate this record. Um, it's definitely kind of different. But if you let it, for me, for this was the second jazz record I ever got into. Mm-hmm. Right? For years, all I listened to was Headhunters and then Bitches Brew. And then I listened to all the rock and metal shit that I always mm-hmm. listened to, right? Um, but this is kind of like a journey. It reminds me of, like, if you like, I don't know, Coheed and Cambria or like Dragon Force, right? Like these epic metal bands. Mm-hmm. To me, this is the same kind of journey. Nice. I'm glad somebody showed that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the second, the first record I thought of, really. But it, again, if, if you listen to it and you think this is fucking weird, I don't like it, that's funny. You don't have to like it. Yeah. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But I think for some metalheads, it could be a, a thing for them. Yeah. It's perfect. Exactly it. All right, so I have the honors of showing the last record. I just have one to show. Um, so just to recap, I think we did five rounds. I tried to um, have some trajectory. So we started with uh, kind of the first album you'd recommend. So I, I did that James Brandon Lewis, I of I. Then I went to some guitar records because I felt like that was a, a comfort zone for a metalhead. Then drums, another obvious you know focus in, uh, in metal. And then bringing in more kind of a focus on tenors um now that you're kind of like used to the the guitar and drums here's some tenor stuff and then finally i wanted to end it on composition which obviously all the records we showed um have brilliant compositions on them but this one um speaking of brilliant compositions this is a Thelonious monk brilliant corners this is on riverside it was released in 57 and what i would recommend here is the title track brilliant corners um, it's considered one of Monk's most challenging pieces. Uh, it has like a complex melodic structure and then these abrupt rhythm changes that make it really difficult. Um, when they recorded this in the studio, they took uh, they had 25 incomplete takes. And the final version is a, a splice of multiple takes because of how difficult it was. Um, so this one is really kind of complex. It starts like the beginning theme. It starts like half speed and then it, and then it gets it, it ramps up in trajectory. Uh, there's a lot of really cool, interesting um, uh, composition here. So uh, this is this is definitely one I would recommend. I think it's a it's a good one to leave off on. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, if if I could get a metalhead into Monk, I think I would consider um, that a huge success. So, I feel like this is this is a great one to get into, um, and I think it's brilliant. So there you go. I think that's a good pick. It's a great pick, and this is a really like easy uh, record to listen to. You, you, you get you know you, you get hooked yeah. to it very easily. Even though the compositions are difficult to play, I feel like the listening experience is really enjoyable. It is uh, extremely well recorded. Yeah, it's a fantastic record. And it has Sonny Rollins, so he was on Sonny Meets Hawk that was shown earlier. Um, it has some great uh, uh, trumpet players. Max Roach is on drums, who's a, he's one of the best. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, so definitely check out Brilliant Corners. All right, I'm doing I'm, I'm throwing an audible, man. Okay. <laughs> so speaking of Monk, um, these two records on Blown Out, they were recording earlier recordings of um, Monks, super early in the you know LP era, basically. Um, to me, Monk is called they're called genius of modern music, right? Because Monk is kind of responsible for modern jazz. I mean, you know, he doesn't get as much credit as like Charlie Parker and, and Dizzy Gillespie and, and those guys get, but he was there. Um, doing making that music at the same time all of them started. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, yeah. but to me, like showing Monk Records as a place to go to makes a lot of sense because yeah, he's the origin. Of, he's like the source of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He was an innovator, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I could have. I, I could have also started with Monk. Um, for sure, yeah. he's one of my favorites. I mean. That's easy to say. Um, so, so highly recommend that. And I was looking at all the Monk records that I had and trying to pick which ones. There's uh, Mysterioso is also on Riverside. It's a live record with Johnny Griffin. 
I was considering that one because it has the tenor on it. And Johnny Griffin's tenor, I think, is uh, really, um, uh, it's a little bit more modern, in my opinion, than like the, the Ben Webster and the Coleman Hawkins that I showed. So I was going to show that. That's another great one. But I just thought Brilliant Corners is just another level. I, I just think, you know, that that was an easy pick for me. But there's so much good monk out there. Um, basically, you can get any any of his stuff and um, enjoy it. So so definitely check out Thelonious Monk. Agreed. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Felipe, do you have any honorable mentions or anything? Uh, honorable mentions, like to say, any Freddie Hubbard, any Jackie McLean. Okay. As well. Uh, you know, there's just so much, right? It's hard to, to pick in, into five. I decided to be very strict to five, actually six. But uh, what you guys showed was just fantastic. I think those records are very accessible, not crazy stuff, or not too distant. I think they have very good um, composition, as Mike said. The instrumentals are just out of this world. It's hard not, if you enjoy like a good guitar solo, drum solo, or whatever. There's plenty of solos here, great material that um, it's, it's, it's very, it pleases anybody. It's hard to say, man, I don't like it. It's very hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you can just explore, go anywhere. Yeah, and everybody has a different path. Um, all three of us have different different paths. And I think what, what was fun about, you know, approaching this video is to have, uh, to have like a hypothetical metal head and if you were to try to get him or her into the genre and they were interested in learning about it, what would, what would kind of be your approach? So I think this was a really fun exercise. I would say, and, and everybody that watches, if y'all have recommendations, definitely yeah. put them in the comments. Yeah. And if you, if you have YouTube channels, if you want to do five records to get a metalhead into jazz, that would be really cool to see what you what you yeah. yeah, drop a list too. It'd be so a lot of fun yeah. to just see that. And this just become a, a new jazz bums challenge. That's it. That's it. That's good. The jazz bums metalhead challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. Awesome. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. I mean, we've done it. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Remember to uh, like, subscribe, share, comment. Do the hashtag, make your own videos, um, and thanks for watching. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Thank thanks, you, guys. guys.